0: Welcome to the art and science of complex sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional a sales leader, are just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Today on the show, we're excited to welcome a man that many of you know probably needs no introduction, but we're going to introduce him anyways. He is the founder of Objective Management Group and Curlin & Associates. He's an award-winning author and blogger, Uh, and author of a legendary sales book called Baseline Selling. He is the wizard of sales data and a purveyor of over 33 years worth of ongoing sales research and analysis on what makes salespeople great. So with that, we're bringing you Dave Curlin today. All right. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's show of the art and science of complex sales. I'm really privileged and honored to have a friend of mine, as well as just a stalwart in the the realm of sales, Dave Curlin. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So everybody heard my introduction before this about all your accolades and all that stuff. But how do you describe yourself, Dave? I'm a sales guy
1: who, who's been it. doing it for way too long. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And well, I happen to have a particular expertise in understanding what makes salespeople tick. I'm a good diagnostician.
0: Diagnosticians I have to be sitting on a lot of data that tells us a lot of stuff. So tell me, this is a question that listeners are really familiar with me asking. It, you know, you have the data on sales, you're a sales guy, you've been doing it for a long time. How do you define sales?
1: Today, my definition would probably be different than it was 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. I think today I would say that selling is about having a good quality conversation with a willing participant that leads to the willing participant wanting to buy what you have.
0: So, big element there that I completely, completely align with and agree with. You said conversation. (laughs) So, let's dive into that a little bit. When you say a good conversation, what does that mean?
1: It's you and me talking to each other. Now, as part of our Discussion. We're probably going to talk about things that are frustrating you or that you'd like to change uh, that I might be able to help you with as I guide you through that discussion and ask you great questions. Um, but ultimately, you're going to end up telling me the things that would compel you to want to buy from me.
0: You uh, said you actually are that definition has changed over the years. That brings up two questions. One, how do you think it's changed? It's a terrible sales practice, right? Ask two questions at once, but how do you think it's changed? And then tell us about kind of the, how'd you get into sales? So you can take those Those questions anywhere Two terrible questions together, right? I know I'd I'd be up on stage and getting a a thrashing from you if I was doing a role play, but.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which one do you want me to answer first?
0: Let's start with getting into sales and then uh, then we can dive into uh, how sales has changed. And I got into sales on purpose, unlike most
1: people who got in by accident. I actually chose it because I wasn't skilled enough to do anything else. I couldn't get a job doing anything else. So I, like a lot of kids who were in college, I took a job selling cut cone knives. And oh, nice. unlike a lot of kids in college, I lasted more than a week. I actually lasted three years. And the last two of those years, I was in sales management and I recognized back then that was 1973, four and five, that this is what I wanted to do in my life. I recognized that people responded to me. I was able to retain people more than the other folks who were playing sales manager and that's all it was was just a bunch of kids in college playing sales manager and a Mm -hmm. bunch more kids playing salesperson for a week Uh, so i was able to retain folks a little longer than a week and i was able to get them to sell more stuff than others did and i thought it was pretty cool i had no idea what i was doing or why it was working not a clue but i did know i'd eventually like to be doing something like that Back when I was 18, 19, and 20.
0: So how does that transition through the years to today when you're uh, you know, sales expert written a book, written books, like I have a have a, you're a data station or a statistician on on thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of salespeople and know what makes salespeople tick. What does that journey look like?
1: That's a great question. I never really thought about it. In that context but i think if you use the word expert whether it's a sales expert uh, whether it's an industry leader whether it's a award-winning blogger or author th- those things just evolved over time i don't think i set out to be any of those things when i started the business it was just to start a business but i've always had lots of ideas i've always had a busy mind And uh, so these offshoots of being a sales expert just became ways to express what was going on in my head. So if you do it long enough and you do it well enough and you care enough about what you're doing, eventually people will start calling you an
0: expert. Good call. So tell me about the well enough and like define how how has that changed through the years? I mean, you've obviously had to hit and do it well enough over the years. So what's what has evolved over time?
1: I think one of the things that that was really important is staying power. There's a lot of people that get into the sales space, whether it's consulting, or writing or coaching or strategizing or training or general guruing. Uh, there's a lot of people, and, and social media has enabled this. You know, it used to be you'd put a shingle on, but the shingle didn't get you any business. You know, just having a shingle on your door, you had to go and make cold calls. And a lot of people wouldn't last the first year because no matter where they came from and what they knew, Uh, If they couldn't get people to pay them for their services, they had to go and get a job. Social media has enabled people to uh, more easily get some business via LinkedIn and Facebook. So I think it's easier to get started than it was. But a lot of those same people who get into the same same space are suddenly uh, chief revenue officers and senior VPs of sales and sales directors at corporations that just plucked them uh, because they were willing to pay more than that new consultant was actually able to earn on their own. So to a certain degree, it's survival of the fittest. I think being a good diagnostician in the early days, being able to quickly figure out why a salesperson was failing, why a sales team wasn't performing, uh, I believe that gave me an edge. And, and clearly, uh, with all the work we do at Objective Management Group in evaluating sales teams and assessing sales candidates, that's another e- expression of what I was good at is that the diagnostics. So that's been an evolution as we learn to find more and more and more and more of the things that differentiate top from bottom salespeople,s and learn to make our evaluations and assessments more and more accurate and predictive. So between the longevity and the outlets and the tools, I think the
0: rest just happened. So let's dive into that. You know, statistician and looking at the data and data analysts. I mean, you're you're early in your career as a sales manager. How did you go about that? And that how did you go about then? And then how has that transformed into? I mean, objective management group is and the testing is, is some of the best in the, in the market, absolutely, completely reliable. We use it. I think it's fantastic. And I've many of our partners use it as well. So how did you, how did you take that journey? Like figuring out just on your own, what works to, to, to golf.
1: Yeah. All my buddies used to say, Dave, when are you going to come on the golf course and play golf with us? And I'm like, I'm going to play golf. Maybe when I'm 50, I'll play golf. So then it was a little more decisive. When I'm 50, I'll take up golf. So I turned 50. My wife bought me my first set of clubs. I went out and I I couldn't even hit a golf ball. Never mind hit it straight, or hit it in the air, or hit it where it wanted it to go. Just hitting it was a challenge. And the sport that I thought was boring as hell, you know, hitting a stationary ball, you know, compared to hitting a baseball, how hard could it be? Uh, it was hard. So there are millions of golfers out there. And uh, I, I think to the same degree, there's millions of sales managers and sales leaders out there. So just because we are one doesn't make us any good at it. Doesn't mean we're experts. Doesn't mean we're effective. Doesn't mean we're efficient. And it takes, like Malcolm Gladwell, I don't remember which book it was where he said it takes 10,000 hours.
0: You don't become mm-hmm. a success overnight. Tipping is that? Really, I think that one's tipping point. Tipping yeah. point right? yeah, tipping point.
1: But it could have been Blink or what the dog yeah. saw. <laughs> um, talking to I strangers. Think it, no, it wasn't. Yeah, talking.
0: I, th- I think it is. <laughs> I don't know because they're all good. But anyhow, yeah.
1: So I think that's true for salespeople, sales managers, sales leaders, and the people in our space, the, the mm-hmm. sales experts. You just can't proclaim any expertise and you certainly can't demonstrate expertise if you haven't been doing what you're doing for 10,000 hours. And I don't mean, you know, well, I work 40 hours a week. So that's 160 hours a month. So that's what 1800 hours a year. So I've been doing this eight years. I got my 10, no, not just clock time, but 10,000 hours of actually being on sales calls and coaching salespeople and developing sales teams and training sales teams and, in my case, doing the diagnostics and mining the data and talking about it and living it and breathing it, so it takes years to develop that expertise
0: in, in any role. So, let's talk about let's talk about the diagnostics that you're finding
1: one more point though yeah that. yeah no let's take I've it. been golfing now for 17 years. okay and I'm just as bad as that first day when I couldn't <laughs> hit the ball you know because I have not put in the 10,000 hours and I have not attempted to get better every day and I have not applied myself and practiced and role played and gotten coaching. first year I did so I'm about as far as I got after a first year of lessons. Um, and that's true in sales, sales management, sales leadership, and sales consulting too. It has to be a constant evolution, improvement, and practice of the skill.
0: I'm mean, going to go a completely different direction on a question I was, was going to ask, but I've been really fascinated by the 1% rule, which is just, you can also say small wins equal big wins, small consistent wins equal really big wins. I was talking to an uh really good friend the other day who was talking that through, but just that uh, this idea of the 1% better every single, every single day, at least for striving. Right. And what you're talking about is that it's not just the 10,000 hours of, of activity. Anybody can do 10,000 hours of activity. Like I was a swimmer in high school and some of college. And like, I, it was that if I, if I went and I showed up at practice, I got a little bit better but if I devoted myself to it, if I really got in there and worked hard at it, that's the 10,000 hours that matter is what, I, what I've what i learned over the years. It's just like, because else I'm just making myself more average than I was before.
1: Right. I, I went to uh golf short game school, Dave Pell, I think. Yeah. And there's one sentence I remember from that school. He said, practice doesn't make perfect. He said, practice makes permanent. So if you're practicing
0: it wrong, the more you practice it, the more wrong it's going to be. That's a great line. I, w- I thought you were going to say the perfect practice makes perfect, but I like that idea of pr- practice makes permanent because yeah, right. If you're role-playing the wrong things for people, there's no, or you're, or you're doing the same thing you did 10 years ago, you're not getting any better. So how does the data, so how are you going in today? And I know OMG consultants know this. I know a lot of others people know this, but how do you go in today and then actually help transform sales organizations so they're not making those same mistakes continually, that they're putting in the right type of practice and work?
1: Well, what we can show a sales leader or a CEO from the data is why they're getting the results they're getting. We evaluate a sales team and we can see where the skill gaps are. We can see um, where the common problems are. We can see the things that need to get fixed. But more importantly, we have to show them how that's leading to the win rate they're having or how that's leading to the thin pipeline they have or how that's leading to Stalled opportunities sitting in the middle of the pipeline that aren't moving through. So it's really important to apply context to the data on its own. The data means very little, you know, one of the meaningful pieces of data is about reaching decision makers. We know from the data that salespeople who reach decision makers are 341% more likely to close the business. That that's a pretty, Important, profound statistic. But even the salespeople who are reaching decision makers, and it's about, I think it's 32% are reaching decision makers. If you look more closely and you peel back the layers of the onion, you find out that they're not really reaching the decision maker. They're reaching a decision maker. Only 11% of all salespeople are reaching the decision-maker, and worst of all, BDRs, generally new to sales, recruited out of college, not even committed to a career in sales, executing on perhaps, or that's the wrong word, being asked to execute on perhaps the most important and difficult part of the sales cycle, getting that first meeting, they're only (laughs) reaching decision-makers at a rate of about 1%, 1% of that group is getting to a decision-maker. Wow. I still don't understand why companies have people in that role. I, I know that the the premise behind it was well thought out. Let Why are we wasting our high-paid account executives and sales executives' time having them make cold calls? When you know, maybe they can only talk to a couple people a day, why don't we have some young, motivated, hungry people on the phone making calls and uh let them do the grunt work and set appointments up? So, I, I like the idea that the appointments are set up for the account executives, for the sales executives, but they suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh I the industry statistic is they they make one and a half meetings a week
0: here's an interesting thing just from my history like I, I, I started 2007 I started a sales of the service company with with a number of partners but our we had a full sales model where we would come and we would do you know contact to closure sales as an outsourced service and learned a ton right we also had a, a BDR SDR model and the interesting thing that I found, uh was there was hugely distinct differences but we had to train every sdr and bdr as a even if the job was different we had to train them as a full rep because if we let them on if we gave them a script and say go they read a script and it was it was horrible they and they were not good at it right if we gave them however if we gave them a full playbook gave you know six weeks worth of training Invested in them, they wanted to take this on as a career, and they were actually confident having a conversation with a decision maker. It made all the difference in the world. So we were setting, you know, four to six to eight really good qualified appointments at a time. But we only learned that after we did it for a long time because people sucked in it. I mean, I started as a SDR and I sucked. I was terrible. I was. Because that's what I was given. I was given here's your list and here's a script. Have fun. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I mean, well, hey, call, call up, call I the said. VP. Go, call high. Just get me an appointment. What? That does, that's not coaching. Yeah, that's that's, that's an outcome. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make you any better. No,
1: and that, no that's one of my pet peeves. That so much coaching is not instructional, and it it's not uh tactical it's not even strategical it's just outcome based like Mm -hmm. uh, we're a baseball family my son's a college baseball player and I remember in youth baseball it used to drive me nuts um there'd be a kid pitching and he'd be wild and he'd be walking kids and the coach would yell throw strikes (laughs) oh Obviously, the kid is trying to throw the dice. He's not <laughs> trying to be wild, but why don't you coach him? Do something instructive, like point out that uh, he's aligned toward the left of home plate, or he's not extending his arm and throwing downhill, or that he's not driving his off his back leg and pushing forward, or that he's overthrowing, or anything, even if it was wrong, anything other than throw strikes. Yes. And your experience mirrors the experience I had selling Cutco knives, where all the new college kids were basically given a 30-minute script, a demo to memorize. And they they didn't bother teaching anybody to sell unless they were there for a month. So at at the one month point, somebody taught me to sell, which wasn't a whole lot more than the script, but it allowed me to go off script. And after six months, I mean, that that was amazing. He's been with us six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a, a VP of Sales took me under his wing and taught me how to sell, which had nothing to do with demos, nothing to do with opening the sample case, nothing to do with making a presentation, nothing to do with anything other than ask listening, and asking questions.
0: That is so. I mean, it's it's funny. It's different times, but it's the exact same type of uh, my first SDR role. It's the exact same type, and I just it frustrated me so much. It was actually why it was like six years later that we started this company because it I literally was given like three sheets and a product information, a database that so supposed to be phone book and then a <laughs> and then it was call high set appointments. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, and, and, and by the model, way, you're measured on phone time. By the way, you're measured on phone time and the number of phone calls you make.
1: And Can that model is baked in. To the insurance industry and the car, the automobile industry at the dealership level is it's just a, a model of give them a script, let them sell to their friends and their relatives, and churn them and we'll do it all over again. They expect 90% turnover. It's mm-hmm. dumb, it's inefficient, it's impractical, it makes no common sense, but they've been doing it so long that way, they're not, they're still not
0: willing to change it. <laughs> yeah I, I've noticed in the software industry too as we dive in. I wonder if you find this as you're going in and working with companies that sometimes on coaching, right? Sometimes coaching is, well, you didn't fill out that box in the CRM or you did you know you, you know or you didn't put this in correctly. And so it's all focused on the the me and what I as a manager need or what I as a VP need or what I as a sales leader need in terms of talk about data to, to potentially predict the future. But, but what generally happens is they coach on how to fill out boxes and then you, the data is wrong. So the VP sales manager and everybody needs to be like a magician to figure out, to figure out what's actually going to come out on the other end. And they end up, so it's, there's been a lot of that, that I've seen in the industry where that suffices for this idea of coaching. And, yeah, and uh, while you've
1: seen that anecdotally, and you've observed it. We have the data that shows that's what's happening. We know it, when we evaluate a sales team, we know exactly how frequently the salespeople are getting coached. And I should say how infrequently the salespeople are getting coached. And most of the time it's on demand. Hmm. They get coached if they ask for coaching, and no one wants to ask for coaching. Uh, and then we see exactly that kind of coaching. They're being given, and when they're coached, it usually helps with pricing, with proposals, with technical information. And it's rarely uh, about a sales-specific opportunity. It's rarely tactical. It's rarely strategic. It's really rarely, rarely uh, to help them improve as salespeople. Uh, it's rarely to challenge them. And when they do get beyond pricing and proposals and technical help that the fourth most common thing on the list is encouragement they don't know how to coach and even if they know they're supposed to be doing it frequently or more frequently than they are it wouldn't be any good if they
0: did it so i'm going to ask you i need you to hold that thought and i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you To describe the data set that you're working off of because it's it's massive and it's incredibly impressive and then i want to hold a thought relative to coaching because i have that but i I, for context to people i want to make sure that i we dive into that real quickly
1: omg measures 21 sales core competencies plus a bunch of other competencies that we don't consider core Mm -hmm. and for each of those competencies there's an average of 10 attributes So just just from the 21 core core competencies, that's about 210 data points per salesperson. And we have 20 core competencies that we measure for sales managers, again, with an average of 10 attributes per competency. Uh, So when it's all said and done, there's probably 250 data points per person on the sales team that we're picking up. And we... We can distinguish between the top 5% and what they do differently from the bottom 5%. Uh, We can look at the next 15%, then the next 30%, that bottom 50%, they they just plain suck. There's not much of a difference between the bottom 50 and the bottom 10. They're all pathetic, not people,
0: pathetic as salespeople. And so how many of yeah. these over the years? So 250 data points per salesperson per comp- and, and more per million. manager. Holy crap. Okay. Now, so there's some
1: reliability. And data points. 2.4 yeah. point million sales and sales leadership assessments, assessments times 250 data points.
0: Wow. So we're talking highly 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 it reliable
1: billion data points.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That is awesome. So let's take that back. You take those billion data points and where are you finding the most part? Like you could probably go a million places with this, but why is sales coaching like that? Why what are the areas that they're they're not good at that are driving Because that's really the whole downstream, right? If if I don't get good coaching, if you just tell me to throw strikes, and expect me to get better, then it's pretty much. I always got yelled in sink or swim in the pool, right? Oh, get your your swim, you know. (laughs) Okay, great, but it is it's pretty much sink or swim for that salesperson. Uh, So, where are they failing, and where are they succeeding? Well, the good ones.
1: Only seven percent of all the sales managers have what it takes. Have both the frequency and the quality of the coaching to a point where they have an impact, and and we have data on this: the coaches that coach frequently, the coaches that coach effectively. There is a difference in quality of their salespeople compared to the salespeople who report to sales managers who don't coach frequently and effectively. But when you put it together, salespeople who work for the sales managers that both coach frequently and effectively are 34% stronger and generate 28% more
0: revenue than the salespeople who work for everybody else. So that's and that's that's an investment of time and training in the coach, and you're getting the 28% 28%. So I think it's more important to ask why.
1: I mean, so we know that's happening and it's been yeah. that way for a while. That There has been no statistically significant change in that data for years. Uh, So I I think we have to start looking at why. So Joe Blow gets promoted to sales manager. Mm -hmm. And his model for sales management success was John Doe, who he reported to. And John Doe... Sold and provided help when he was asked to. And once in a while he checked in on, on uh Joe. Mm-hmm. So that's his model for what a sales manager is supposed to do. Uh the VP of sales came up through the same ranks. At one time he worked for Joe Blow or John John Doe. I'm sorry, getting my made-up names wrong. <laughs>
0: I just made an org org chart with with him so I could ask you questions. (laughs) And eventually,
1: uh, he became a CEO. And he doesn't know any differently from the VP of sales or the sales manager. They they all came up working for uh, this crusty old guy, John Doe. And uh, John spent most of his time selling and you know, came in and rescued a salesperson when they got in trouble, closed a tough deal. And that's what they all thought sales managers do. So sales managers are assigned all this busy bullshit with spreadsheets and the sales stack, which is filled with applications nobody uses. And uh, coaching just was never part of their experience. It's not what the VP of sales and the CEO RO or the CSO or the CEO uh, have expected or asked for or demanded or held anybody accountable to. So we have this industry-wide stupidity that the most important thing a sales manager can do is coaching, but nobody's expecting or teaching or helping sales managers do what they need to do.
0: So tell me a little bit about then the other side of of the business. And how do you like how do you then go in and help them? How, how do you improve that function within a because they don't know? You know, there's so many that don't know, but what is the path to helping them?
1: Well, I think the the light bulb moment is when we're doing a review of a sales team evaluation. And pretty early on we get to that sales coaching piece. And Maybe I'm saying, you know, while there are a lot of things we discovered as part of the sales team evaluation, there are six that you can do something about right now and know it will have a profound effect. Let's talk about the first one, which is the lack of coaching by your sales managers. And they're listening. I'm like, Mm -hmm. take a look at this, show them the, the visual of it they're not coaching. They're just not coaching. And when they do have a conversation that they think is coaching, it's not any of these things which do qualify as coaching. It's these other things which don't qualify as coaching. Then I just shut up. And whether that's going to change or not depends on what they start saying next. When they say, wow, we we know coaching is important and we know we haven't been asking them to do that. But wow, when when I see it in, in black and white, when I see it for our sales organization, oh boy, that really hits home. We need to, how do we fix it? I know we've got a chance of fixing it when they start making excuses, well, we ask a lot out of our sales managers and they have personal accounts and they're on the road and you know our salespeople are veteran salespeople. They know their way around and they know what they're supposed to do. So they don't really require any help from the sales managers. I know we're not gonna fix it. It's, it's pretty much that black and white and that cut and
0: dry. Really? And I say, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Like I see that and I say, oh my gosh, this is a really big deal this isn't hugely impactful for my organization. We got to fix this. Like, how do you get the appropriate skills to the, the coaches? Is it, and maybe it's a dumb question. Maybe it's just a matter of training, but are you finding you need to sit next to coaches and help them and model it? Are you finding you just train? Are you finding you, you do all of the above? I mean, how how do you get somebody that has grown up in sales as a manager that the management job was... Checking the boxes, right? So, hey, make sure make sure you fill that out in the CRM. Okay, uh, yeah, you're doing a great job. You are doing a great job. How do you take that into actionable insights based coaching?
1: That's a great question, and there's several parts to it to get it to happen. First, there ha- there has to be a suitable coaching environment in place. In other words, the salespeople have to be coachable. Mm Because if they're not coachable, it doesn't matter. They have to trust their sales manager's intentions. And they have to respect their sales manager's coaching skills. And there has to be a strong enough relationship so that when and if the sales manager starts providing some constructive criticism, um, it doesn't destroy the salesperson. Before you can teach them how, they have to... They have to recognize that those elements have to be in place. And if they're not in place, that has to be done first. So assuming we've got the right coaching environment in place, then sales managers need to be taught what kinds of coaching they can provide. So we could talk about, you know, there's pre-call strategizing, which is what you do before a salesperson has a sales call. There's post-call debriefing, which takes place after a salesperson has had a call. And there's a, a pipeline opportunity review, which is when we dissect the opportunity and do strategy. So when they when they start to recognize that that those different types of coaching are available, then you have to show them the elements. Okay. So these are the elements of a pre-call strategy coaching conversation. These are the elements of a post-call debrief. The pre-call strategy works this way. The post-call debrief works that way. And the crucial tool to be able to make that happen is role play. And I, I don't know how other sales experts teach sales managers to coach, but at um, my other company at Curlin and Associates, mm-hmm. we forced them to listen to about six hours of recorded coaching calls—real live, recorded coaching calls. They weren't scripted, and we specifically used the ones that were mostly role play. So they listen to the coaching conversations, which run about twenty to thirty minutes. They listen to the role-play component and they listen to the lessons learned at the end and what the follow-up next steps will be and that's when they get it not until you get to the case studies do they get it and go whoa and then the big challenge is getting them from i don't know how to role play and i certainly can't role play like that how am i ever going to learn to do that kind of a role play and that's that, so you end up teaching them how to role play.
0: <laughs> well, that's teaching them how to throw strikes. Right. I mean,
1: exactly. Which,
0: that and and I had a specific reason for asking that question because it's it's it goes through. I mean, for me, that just connects the dots on why I really need this objective data testing based on on what my sales organization looks like today. And then all the way down through to, okay, if, if that is, you know, if coaching is one of the things that pops up and I have a team that's coachable all the way down through how I activate it. Right. The, and that to me, it's just a journey that people don't get, uh, they don't understand all the components of it. I find most people I talk to, right. Oh yeah, coaching, it's great, but we'll just hire another manager or, you know, sales process implementation. That's great. You know, they don't have a sales process. That's great. We'll just hire another manager, you know, it, it, but the level of depth of data that you can provide all, and then all the way down to actionable, actionable, uh, that you can take action on how to exactly improve is, is pretty incredible after billions and billions of data points. Exactly.
1: So Um, that too becomes a journey for the sales managers that they're not going to go from not coaching to coaching. They're not going to go from coaching poorly to coaching effectively. It's a month's long journey to get them to the point where they can really have a positive impact on the salespeople who report to
0: them. So where is, and this is a loaded question, I'm sure. So if you don't want to answer it, don't answer it. But like where in the sales, where in the sales management and leadership and structure is it the most effective to make an impact? Like, where can you make impacts immediately if you get in there and help change sales process? And now we're now we're making the connection
1: to membrane. Yeah, most companies have something in place that they call a sales process, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's usually you know there might be thirteen steps, but it's usually no more complicated than book a meeting, qualify, and close. Hmm. Maybe a presentation and a proposal are in there. So we rebuild, re-sequence, we re-optimize their sales process so that it's repeatable, it's predictable, and it can be followed by everybody. And getting, getting the right sales process in place and getting everybody following it is the first step. I mean, just that will increase revenue. Uh, Then training would be designed to demonstrate to them what this stage sounds like when you're having that good conversation. And that's repeated for all four or five or six stages in the sales process. And the training is milestone specific. So here's how you have the conversation to move from milestone A to milestone B. And this is what good sounds like. And let's role play it so you really understand what it sounds like. And then coaching is when you can get the sales manager to not only coach to the content but coach to it within the sales process, the process so that the coaching is stage specific. Or if they're debriefing, uh, they can back them up through the process so that the salesperson can see what they skipped, what they missed, where they jumped ahead, what they weren't thorough on, what they didn't find out, what they didn't ask. So we can it's get- It's always it. gonna come down to what they didn't ask.
0: Yeah, and we get a ton of data on this front end about skills and how people can fit into, but it's really around how they can fit into the I mean if you think about it, now I'm connecting these dots, it's really about how they can fit into this optimal sales process or this process that we can we can create or that we should have or create and then how we then train on that, coach to that, level up to that and make it absolutely repeatable so the data is is accurate, right? Yeah, so we're getting good data instead of junk data yeah yeah that makes sense you did a great post on that by the way um we're this uh, episode's dropping in early april so but you just uh, it you just did a great post on that in terms of win rates the one on win rates yeah on win rates i really appreciated that in terms of getting data figuring out you know what is people talk about win rates and this will probably be our last topic but people talk about win rates and uh, that post really broke down 10 different factors that go into wed rates. And I really appreciated it. it what, just what prompted you to the post that? Yeah. And he
1: said, well, we really want to improve our, he said, we want to know who our hunters are. We want to know who our farmers are. We want to know who our account managers are. And mm-hmm. that would help. I'm like, well, that's nice to know. But what do you want to change? What What do you want your outcomes to be? that are different from now. And he said, oh, we want to improve our win rate. I'm like, "Okay." so do you know what it is now? He said, it's about 35%. I said, and what do you want to change it to? He said, we'd love to increase it by 5%. I said, that's it? Just a 5% boost in win rates? He had told me that they had a sales cycle between 6 and 18 months. And that they sold some MRO stuff and some uh, CapEx stuff. So I said, so I assume the 6 to 18 is for your capital equipment. And I assume it's just ongoing orders and residual business for the MRO. So what, the MRO, you close like 80% of it? He's like, yeah. I said, and the CapEx stuff is probably like 25% because, yeah. I said, so... You get to the end of 18 months and you've lost how do you feel about investing 18 months of the team's time and money and resources and hoping and praying that this big piece of capital equipment is coming in only to lose it he said yeah we want to fix that and i said so a lot must go into proposing those pieces of business he's like yeah there's three people on the proposal team and it could take them three or four days to write a proposal and their time is worth two hundred dollars an hour so it actually costs us about six thousand dollars to produce a proposal that we lose and the question i asked was how much of those losses are because they did nothing as opposed to you lost it to a competitor and he's like huh I don't think we're tracking that. I said, so what's what's the win rate when you get to that 18-month point and you do a proposal? He said, well, then we're at 60%. I said, well, where are we measuring it from? The proposal? Or where's that 35% coming from? Is that some other place in the sales process? He said, yeah, that's qualified. I said, so half of your qualified deals fall off? He's like, oh, we need help but and, and they're advanced yeah they actually had the numbers he actually knew they that had the yeah. from two places and they he had some sense of knowledge about what's actually going on what leads to it and what causes it to fall apart he, he's way ahead of the curve and they need help and that's where most of the industry is
0: uh, that's great and, and i will refer anybody to that uh to your, both your blog and that specific, uh, blog post, I think it's 10 reasons around, uh, win rates, something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, it was a great, it was a great read. And overall I got to say thank you on behalf of the sales industry for the blog. The blog is uh, completely data backed. It's fantastic. Thank your you. Your rants, so your rants are, uh, are hysterical and fun. And I, I just truly enjoy, uh, truly enjoy them. So I try and thank push you. them out whenever I can. That so you're being the
1: and who reads the blog articles and watches? I do adventures.
0: i do on that one you get on uh, that one person that you get on uh, uh, web analytics that would be that would be me but hey dave that being said I just want to thank you for coming on we're running out of time so um is there any people are gonna need to get a hold of objective management group after this to do some do some testing as well as curlous Associates? how do they get a hold of you
1: well the easiest way is email. D Curlin, D as in David, K-U-R-L-A-N, at ObjectiveManagement.com. Or visit the blog and find me there, omghub.com.
0: Awesome. You can also, just so everybody's aware, we feature you on the Membrane blog. And OMG has a partner, uh, partner page on the Membrane website, as well as an addition that we work with them on that uh, ties in, uh, directly ties in a lot of their testing elements. And it's it's just a pleasure to work with a company that has so much objective data behind it. Uh, Thank so. you.
1: And, and for your list, for folks who are listening and watching for the first or second time, this hasn't been about your company, Membrane, um, but they should all know that Membrane is to CRM and sales tools as omg is to data and assessments Um, membrane is the best and you shouldn't make a move in your sales organization without it
0: Uh, thank you i i completely and wholeheartedly agree so you can reach me at paul.fuller at membrane.com but anyways thank you so much uh we are going to have you back on and uh so you're officially and cordially invited at at this time and i hope you accept uh, in Except. the next couple of months all right wonderful this was well, a great discussion i had fun i did too i did too i'll talk to you soon all right thank you thank you so much for listening to the art and science of complex sales this podcast is sponsored by membrane and our partners from around the globe here at membrane we believe that b2b sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough, it's enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology, technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.